Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new edition of So Important, the Interview Podcast. Today, I am speaking with Mr. Richard Adler, an accomplished concert promoter and a longtime veteran of the music business. Mr. Adler has another distinction, though. He knew the Ramones when they were just starting out, indeed, before they were the Ramones, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Yes, we're going to talk about how the Ramones became the Ramones with the gentleman who was there from the very beginning. The Ramones. You know I love them, and you probably also know that I met my wife in the mosh pit of a Ramones concert. How different my life would be had my friend Scott and I not memorized her number after the show, feverishly writing it down when we got to the car. But that's a digression. Today, we're talking about how the Ramones came to be. The cast of characters is rich. John Cummings, also known as Johnny Ramone. Jeffrey Hyman, or Joey Ramone. Doug Colvin, a.k.a. D.D. Ramone. And Tommy Erdely, who was the Ramones' first drummer and known as Tommy Ramone. Richard and Tommy had an enduring and special friendship, and it lasted until the day Tommy died in 2014. You'll also hear mention of Mark Bell, a.k.a. Marky, the drummer who took over the drums after a few albums, and Monty Melnick, their tour manager, and an earlier guest of this podcast. Richard's early band with Tommy and Johnny, as he discusses, was the Tangerine Puppets. We'll hear some classic stories from those days, and one can't help but have the impression that Tommy and Johnny were very different people. Johnny, well, he was a true SOB in every sense of the word, from the beginning and right to the end of the band, strict, hard-nosed, and very difficult to get along with. Tommy seems just the opposite, as Richard discusses. So let's get right into the interview. Richard and I had a few technical and audio difficulties, but we ironed them out and had a lovely conversation. Now, the first thing that I asked Richard was, how did you and Tommy meet, and how did it lead to you making music together? Tommy and I uh, lived in the same apartment building in Forest Hills. And uh, one day, uh, I was taking guitar lessons at a music store, and I was on my way home from the guitar lesson i was carrying my guitar and i was walking up the steps of my apartment building and this guy came down the stairs and he stopped me and said do you play guitar and i said no i just carried around to pick up girls and he said oh that's very funny and i and we uh he said uh, i play guitar also and why don't you come up to my apartment and we can jam and it was tommy tommy Ordery, uh and i just started jamming together in his apartment. And at some point we decided we should start a band. And we didn't know anybody else who played instruments. So uh, my friend Ira, he had a, uh, a bar mitzvah and he got a lot of money for his bar mitzvah. I said, well, why don't you go buy a bass and an amplifier and you can join our band and you can come to the same music store I go to and learn how to play bass. And then he knew a guy who was a drummer, and all of a sudden we had a band. We were, we were 14 years old, and the Beatles had just come out, and we saw the Beatles on uh, Ed Sullivan, and uh, Tommy and I both uh, decided we wanted to play guitars at the same time. We started a band called the Tiger Five. The Tiger Five, you know, it was a kid's band. We played in uh, junior high school at the, uh, the gym every Friday night for dances. While we were playing there, another band was there, and we 
picked her off their lead singer and made her my lead singer of our band. And um, 1966, Tommy met um, uh, John Cummings at, at Forest Hills High School that we all went to. And um, he introduced me to John. And uh, we decided to start a band with John and uh, Tommy, myself, and our lead singer. John, John played bass at the time. And Tommy was a lead guitar player. We called ourselves the Tangerine Puppets after Donovan's uh, song, Tangerine Puppet. So here you were playing with two people who had become internationally renowned uh, musicians. Yeah. Did you have any idea at the time that these guys had any special talent? I mean, they weren't known at the beginning for how well they played their instruments. Obviously, I was playing with them because I felt that they were... They had some talent. They had some charisma. They were also driven. And uh, they wanted to make music their life's work. And uh, I wasn't sure that I wanted to make music my life's work. And so, how long did you guys play as the Tangerine Puppets? From 66 through 68. And Johnny's um, personality was pretty much in place all the way back then. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you a story. Um, we, we were playing at a... Uh, a battle of the bands, and during our set, John's uh, amplifier went on the blink, and it just started cutting in and cutting out. He started kicking the side of the amp to try to make, try to fix it while we were playing. You know, so our lead singer went over to help him, and he kicked the front of the uh, amplifier and put his foot right through the speaker. And John put his bass down and started beating the crap out of the uh, lead singer right on stage. Another time. We were the house band at a, at, a, at a club called The Living Room in Manhattan, and um, we played all the Sweet Sixteen parties there. I guess I played a, the wrong chord in, in the song, and John just took me and knocked me over the drums, knocked the drummer off the drum, drum stool, and all the drums went flying. So uh, that was John. Yeah, he, John says he wants to play a song, and you don't you don't want to play it. You better duck because he's gonna. He's going to give you a right hook. He wasn't much of a Beatles fan, was he? So, no. At the time, John was a Rolling Stones fan. I, I, I'll give you a little story about the dirt bomb fight we had. Somebody wrote the Beatles on, on the brick wall of a building. So John went over and he wrote the Rolling Stones on another wall of the building. All the kids in the neighborhood, they picked up these dirt bombs and started throwing them at the where he wrote Rolling Stones. And he took dirt bombs, and he started throwing it on where, where they wrote the Beatles. And then this one kid, he took this dirt bomb, and instead of throwing it, he went to jump up and smash it against the wall. And when he came down, his leg got cut open on a, uh, a water spout. And uh, he, had, he had like a, an eight-inch cut on his leg all the way down to his bone. So the dirt bomb fight stopped, and we all picked the kid up, and we ran down to two blocks to the hospital. And he had to have like 100 stitches just because we were, we were fighting about the Beatles and the Stones. I'm with John on that one. I'm not a Beatles fan. but Yeah, but we went to uh, Shea Stadium to see, to see the Beatles. And, you know, John not being a, uh, a Beatles fan, I always wondered why he was coming with us to see, see the Beatles. I had great seats right on the on the third base line and the Beatles were playing on second base. 
there were you know, a lot a lot of bands before the Beatles came on, and we were just sitting there watching the bands. All of a sudden, the Beatles came on. John opens up his backpack, and his backpack is is filled with stones. And he's taking out the stones and he's throwing them at the stage. And I'm to, amazed to this day that nobody got hurt. I spoke with Paul McCartney about it uh, many years ago, and he told me that they knew that somebody was throwing stones. It was hitting the amplifiers, and it wasn't hitting them. They had no idea it was the no. future guitar player of the Ramones. No, and the other thing <laughs> was is that people always say to me, well, why didn't security stop him? And I said, they're too busy with all the girls fainting, <laughs> taking them up to the, uh, to the doctors, you know? Did you ever ask yourself, what compels a person to bring a backpack full of stones to a concert? It's a certain kind of thinking or a certain mindset, isn't it? It certainly is. Um, John had a, uh, a temper. He hated the fact that, that so many people loved the Beatles, so he was going to show them. Funny part about all of this, or actually the ironic part about all of this, is that when they started the Ramones, they needed a name, and they came up with the Ramones. And of course, the Ramon, Ramon is the name that Paul McCartney used when he would check into hotels uh, so he wouldn't be known. And, uh, so John became a, a Beatles fan after Sgt. Pepper. He actually, so he did. Be, he did become a Beatles fan at some point. Yeah, he did, and he actually uh, uh, lists the Beatles as one of his influences. But when we were when we were in the band with him, he wouldn't allow us to play any Beatles songs at all. We had to play all Rolling Stones songs. I'm the same way in my band. <laughs> I, I, we we do we do. I let him do rock and roll music and one or two others because in my mind it's playing it's Chuck, Chuck Berry. <laughs> they all want to play the Beatles. Uh, but all right, so so let's go back to the band for a second. And yeah. so you you were in a band, and it lasted about four years. Uh, no, two years, sixty six to sixty eight. And fill in the story between what happened in the from the end of the band to the beginning of the Ramones. How did all that happen? And what were you? What was your role in all of this? I didn't have a role. I, I went away to college. Okay, um, I decided that. You know, music was fun as a kid, uh, but uh, I needed to go get an education, uh, at least something to fall back on. When I, when I went away to college, I ended up be, becoming a concert promoter. But I had no contact with the Ramones until I got back from college and I went out on the road with Buzzy Linhart. Buzzy wrote the song Friends of, uh, that Bette Midler made famous. But he, he was a... a, a a guitar player, singer, songwriter. And we were, I was his road manager, and I needed a sound man. So I hired Tommy as our sound man, and Tommy came with us on, on the road. At one day, uh, the hydraulic lift broke on the, uh, on the truck, and we had a, B50, uh, a B3 Hammond organ on the truck. And I said, Tommy, you have, I need you to help the, uh, the road crew uh, bring the Hammond up up the stairs and off the truck. And Tommy uh, said that, you know, he's a sound man. He's not a roadie. And he's not going to uh, uh, risk his fingers uh, getting hurt by uh, schlepping equipment. So um, I told him that either you help the road crew or you're going to have to find another job. That was uh, 1974. And Tommy decided to leave. 
and um, he went home, and uh, he was back back home and able to start the Ramones. Did he recruit John to be part of his new uh, new endeavor? No, it was the, actually the other way around. John and uh, Joey were starting a band. They brought Dee Dee in. Joey was going to be the drummer of the band. Dee Dee was going to be the lead singer and bass player, and John was going to play guitar. What happened was Dee Dee couldn't sing and play bass at the same time, and Joey couldn't drum and, and sing at the same time. So Tommy was going to become their manager. And so Tommy was involved in the mix with trying to get the band started. But um, they kind of auditioned a couple of drummers and nobody really fit. So Tommy just sat down at the drums and they said, that's it. You're going to play drums. How much experience did he actually have playing drums before he decided, all right, well. Never. He never played the drums. He never played the drums. You know, he. He uh, tapped on his legs, you know, <laughs> tapped on the desktop, um, but he never played the drums. Uh, yeah, I, I shouldn't say he never played the drums. At, at some point, Tommy and Monty owned a, um, a, rehe- <clears throat> a rehearsal studio. And I would assume that there were drums in the rehearsal studio. And he was probably just fooled around on the drums. I was going to say Monty Malnick is their, yeah. was their road man, the person That's who became right. their road manager. Yes, yeah. How did the image of the Ramon evolve? I mean, it's a clearly well-thought-out image of a regimented army of brothers who are going to attack you with their music, no, no holds barred. And it worked. How did that come about? I just think they were looking for a, uh, a, a an image, and uh, they tried different things. I mean, before that, you know, Joey was into glam rock, even Johnny was a little bit into glam rock also, at least in the way he dressed. But they didn't want a glam rock uh, image for the band. They just kept looking for an image. And I think I think Dee Dee came up with uh, the motorcycle jacket and jeans. And they just kind of just sort of fell into place with it. Well, it's a brilliant concept. Let's bring it back to you, though. When, yeah. when you reflect on all this and when mm-hmm. you saw saw it kind of happening. What was going through your mind? I was at their first appearance at uh, CBGB's and I was sitting at the bar and they come on and to tell you the truth, I just laughed my ass off. First of all, here's John, who, by the way, I I, I spent many hours trying to teach him how to play guitar and it, it was hopeless. Apparently, well, at the time I was in college and went out on the road and came back, he had learned how to play guitar. Here's Tommy, who was my lead guitar player, playing drums. My bass player is playing lead guitar. Joey, who I know is a drummer, is lead singer. To me, it was just hilarious, you know, watching uh, this happen. It was like everybody was playing the wrong instrument. And... They were much better on their own individual instruments. John was a better bass player than he was a guitar player. And Tommy was a much better guitar player than he was a drummer. I just found it really amusing. It was like This is the uh, days when they would stop and start songs and Yeah, so not only would they stop and start songs, but they would argue in the middle of the song. That was just hilarious. Classic. They would just, classic. They would just they would just stop the song and, and John would yell at somebody and they would yell back at them and and then they would want to do a song, and then Johnny didn't want to do the song. He wanted to do another song, and uh, they just uh, they just kept fighting. And I, I really didn't think anything was going to come of it. 
I, I figured that was going to be their last gig ever. It must have been amazing to you to see their ascendancy. Uh, it actually was, and it was uh, it was it was actually brilliant. They came up with a, a an image and a basically you know started the the real punk movement and um, never really sold many records. They really didn't uh, break out. You know, right. to me, right. they actually looked they looked like they were they were doomed for failure. It wasn't until I guess until Marky came in and uh, they started getting um, bigger and outside of the U.S. than they were inside the U.S. Well, they just kept going, though. I mean, for years, I, I probably saw them close to 20 times. Yeah. You know, I, I was at the point where you could say, OK, they weren't quite on tonight. They weren't quite as good as other nights. You know, when you only see them once, you, it's always great. But when you see them a few times, you, could, you start to see the difference. But the night they played in Baltimore at Hammerjacks, when I met my wife, they, it was a tre- tremendous show. And that's really what got us together because I was so excited. I just started talking to this beautiful young woman and... They're responsible for my being married for 31 years now. That's great. I just love hearing happy stories like this. Um, yeah, Tommy and, I, well, Tommy and I stayed in touch. We were friends. Tommy was at my 60th birthday party. And he, he'd come over the house uh, a number of times for, for dinner. On my, my 65th birthday, I invited him to uh, a barbecue. He wrote me back and said that he was too sick to uh, attend. And three weeks later, he was gone. He was a, a, a wonderful person. He was a, a beautiful person. He was a, really just one of the nicest people you could ever meet. And when was the last time you saw John? Now, I haven't seen John since 1976. He went his own way. He did, yeah. It, it's funny because Joey and Johnny were at each other's throats. It wasn't a very good situation. And uh, I was friends with both of them. I know that. When, when, when the Ramones played Lollapalooza, my kids wanted to go and see them. But I called Monty and I said, hey, my kids are coming down. Can you introduce them to the band? And he said, I, I don't think that's a very good idea. I said, why? And he says, um, you don't want your kids in this environment. I said, okay, thank you. It was, it was very hostile. That's a sad, that's a yeah, sad way to end the career. Yeah. And when you look back on it and think about their legacy, what what do you think? Someone who knew them way back when? I think they came a long way. They were revolutionary in their in their style and in their music. They showed me because I really didn't believe in them after seeing them at CBGBs. You know, they wanted me to get involved with booking them, and I really didn't think that they were uh, going anywhere. And yet, other people actually saw something that could be uh, a great, and I just didn't see it. My music was so much different than the music that they evolved to. Uh, I was into vocal harmonies and uh, ex- you know, really good guitar playing, and uh, they were into uh, power chords and um, three or four chords, and that was sure. it, you know? It, it was, you know? it was a garage band that somehow managed to take off and uh, start a whole new uh, trend and, and, and a new um, a new scene, you know, a punk scene. You know, people related to the Ramones for the fact that they weren't the best of musicians, that they, they looked at the Ramones and said, I could do that. But when you see Eric Clapton playing up on the stage, 
and you're a guitar player, you might get discouraged, you know? And I think that's the difference, you know? People related to the Ramones because they thought they could do that too. That's a perfect note to end this conversation. You have a unique perspective, and I'm so glad that you shared it with us. Glad to to, uh, share it with you. uh, Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on. Take care. You too. Hey, little girl, I want to be your boyfriend. Sweet little girl, I want to be your boyfriend. What do you say? Do you love it best? What can I say? Because I wanna be your boyfriend. Hey little girl, I wanna be your boyfriend.